0: But grace was given to each of us according to the measure of God's gift. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things.
1: Father God, illuminate the word for us this morning, for the glory of Christ's name we pray that we might be fed, that we might uh, delight in being served so that we can go forth from this place in love and in ministry. I ask this in Jesus' name, amen. So here we are on Mother's Day, or so I've heard in certain hipster circles, it's now trying to be called Birthing Person's Day by some. <laughs> so happy Birthing Person's Day. Doesn't really sound right, right? I'll stick with the original. Often the original's the best. Uh, happy Mother's Day. Now when it comes to Mother's Day, one of the things that we can often do is we pause and think about some of the fi- family dynamics we were raised with, the kinds of um, moments that help shape us and who we are. The qualities we have as individuals. Because if you're a part of a family, you're part of a structure. An order to things set in motion. Just here yesterday at the church, of course, uh, we had the funeral service for, for Bobby's mother. Um, who passed away in February, correct? It was, and, um, and here, one after the, another... Uh, Bobby and her sister and her brother-in-law and and uh, Tyler and Bruce. Uh, Tyler is Bruce and Bobby's son, uh, and a few others came up and they were telling stories about Barbara Colmer, and one after the other story after story. And I have to admit, my my favorite part was when um, Bobby started talking about her siblings and how she could see parts of her mother, and each one of her siblings. Um, It was really a touching moment because when we're a family, we grow and we change and we are moved by the people who are around us. And so for Bobby's family, they had this strong, godly, matriarchal figure to bless them with. Well, here we now have been in Ephesians the last couple of weeks, and we've been having Paul start to talk about the church and allude to the church as kind of a new race, a new family of people with diverse backgrounds, Jew and Gentile, centered upon a God who is one and yet also three persons, and a God who desires for us, as we saw last week, to be one just as he is one. And now today... Paul is here going to tell us how we're supposed to grow up in this family of God. In one sense, it's a little bit of the, the rules of the house. And the rules of the house with God starts with remembering God's graciousness to us in this unique family of ours. How our maturing must begin with appreciating Christ's gift of grace, of the Father who gave him, of the Spirit who illumines us so that we know of him. And verse 7 reads, But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. And when you read those words, sometimes you can kind of read them quickly and unthinkingly, and we can revert to bad ideas of God's grace. I, I think of how I was taught of grace in my youth. But you think, okay, Well, what is the measurement? You know, is he only going to give me half grace and I have to make up the difference? Is he going to give me 75% of the grace and I make up the difference? But then we just need to remember so far in this letter of Ephesians, it's been clear time and time again. uh, If you remember, for instance, how we finished chapter three, God's grace is limitless for us. I described it. When we got to the end of that chapter as if we were trying to drink from a cup of water and it was being filled constantly with a fire hose. We'd never be able to drink it down enough in order to empty the cup. It couldn't happen. So Paul wants us to be a family constantly remembering the fact that within our family our God is endlessly supplied with grace for us. But also the Greek word here does have this unique individual reality to it. God has uniquely handed you his grace, so that you might uniquely be a blessing to this family. That goes back again to that illustration I was talking about with the, the Bobby's mother's funeral service. God is giving us grace so that we have unique qualities. Where when people see us, they can identify and say, Oh, see, I see that quality. I know who that's from. That's from Jesus. That's from God. You're humble. You're patient. You're kind. Oh, I've seen glimpses of that before. In the personality and the character. I see how God has loved us because of you, how you're loving me. I see how God has had courage to be bold for us. How you, for, and how you've been courageous for me. I see how God loves me and how you've loved me even though it's been hard. How you've been patient, caring, kind, good. I see God in it. Often we tend to think of Christianity as just some blend of a moral code we have to aspire to, or a philosophy, or this collection of wisdom from this teacher, and in some ways it is those things. We do receive a morality that's wise to live by. It's life-producing. We receive a way to look out into the world, a way to understand the world, but it's so much more than that. Christianity at its core is a personal encounter with God that so changes you. And so moves you individually that you are moved in a way that especially family members understand and they can see. Remember, the scriptures talk about two family lines. Jesus has no problem at times saying, You're of your father, the devil. Or the line of Cain, as we see in the early pages of scripture, a line that is, has a different leading, that reflects a different image. They're still made in the image of God, of course, but they're following a different drummer. But we, the church, are called to reflect the qualities of the one who is the head of our family. Family changes us, either for the good or some families change us for the bad. Every one of us could tell stories of how mothers or mother-like individuals of life changed us to our core. Changed how we look at the world. Changed some of the decisions we've made. The values we've had and alike. And Paul is starting off the rules of the house of Christ, saying God has individually given you an immeasurable amount of grace to change you so that others might see a measure of Christ within you. (laughs) Then we reach verse 8. And as I mentioned last week, the entire chapter of Ephesians chapter 4 is really one that helped inform the creeds of the early church, the apostles, the Nicene creeds. And yet, instead of focusing how This chapter has helped produce fruit in some of the statements made in those creeds. I want to appreciate the context and the moment Paul is talking about here in us. In this section, that outlines the rules of the house. So, remember, in verse 7, we we talked about individual grace. A grace that individually changes us. Verses 8-10, through I'm going to call the victory march of Christ. And how the victory mark of Christ has changed everything. When I was a young teenager, I used to, before I had an addiction collecting Bibles, I had a cologne addiction. I used to cover myself in cologne. I was like a living potpourri, you know? I'd walk into a room and it's like, whoo. I had people try to tell, me you're putting on too much. I didn't care. I just coated more cologne. The waff of me would go in through every room, you know? Some days Hugo Boss, some days aqua de Gio, whatever. Um, Polo sport. But uh, the presence of me changed the rooms that I was in. Now take all the negative connotations away from that for a moment. The annoying guy with too much cologne on. And there is a sense here in which what is being said is this. The presence of Christ has changed the aroma of heaven. The presence of Christ has changed the aroma of earth. The presence of Christ has changed the aroma of even death itself. His victory march, his 33 years from the first Christmas night to Easter morning is a victory march. And it has changed everything from the heavens to the earth to everything else. There's actually a tie-in here, both this Psalm sixty eight, verse eighteen, and Colossians two fifteen that helped kind of substantiate this claim. But Jesus' grace has changed the aroma of everything. Remember that. That's why when Bruce makes the bulletin for his mother in law's funeral, he can put on the title how we are celebrating the ongoing life of Barbara Colmer. And he's absolutely right. Because the aroma of death for a believer is not a stench of death, but it's a potpourri of life. Jesus has changed everything. He has freed the captives, as the verse says. He delivers us from evil, from sin, and from death. And so we are to be changed as living members of his family, embracing the qualities and values and love he first blessed us with. This victory march of our Lord has started off a chain link event that includes us, that binds us to him. He's broken the chains that once plagued us so that we might be freely bound to him. So from verses 7 to 10, God has made landfall and in his wake, both personally and everywhere we look, grace and love continues to go forth on the march. There's ascension, which the qualities of Christ we see in, other, in one another are ripple effects. And aftershocks of those collection of events of the life of Jesus Christ. And then Paul moves on from the triumphant headship of our God into the family dynamic or structure of the church. And Paul, in verse 11 and beginning in verse 12, singles out four roles having a unique role within the family, whom Paul lumps into one group he calls equippers. Now, some of you might be following along in your Bibles and you say, wait, wait, There's Kevin got it wrong. There's five, but no, there's actually four here. But we'll get more into that. Maybe even three, but you'll see. This group of equippers help people in the family of God put their gear on. Mothers, even if your children are out of the home, what was often when you sent your children out, whether it be to school or to a friend's house or even to go play outside, what do you remind them? What are some of the things you reminded them to do? Go ahead, shout it out. Put on shoes. Clean socks, clean underwear, I think I heard. Let's keep it PG. This is streaming online. You were an equipper. Go outside with the right equipment. You know? Your brown jacket, blue shirt, and orange pants don't match. Go change. You were an equipper. You were equipping and preparing your children to go out in the world. God, as you'll see in verses 11 to 12, has four roles to serve in ministry in much the same way. The first two roles, Paul mentions, we know best in the historic sense. Paul mentions the apostles as equippers of which Paul also declared in 1 Corinthians 15.8 that he was the last of them. The apostles were a office, a special office in the age of Christ, the apostolic period, who they uniquely received a firsthand look at the risen, triumphant victory march of Jesus Christ, the saving life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And so Paul is saying that the apostles can equip us today, yet they have come and gone. How can they equip us? How can they equip us? They equip us by us reading, understanding, and knowing their words. There is a sense in which when Pastor Pastor Bruce just read from the book of Ephesians, he was serving as a stand-in for the Apostle Paul talking to us this morning. And likewise with the prophets. How do we learn from the prophets today when we read the Old Testament? Well, the prophets did not receive a direct vision of the victory march, the entire victory march of Christ, they still had caught a glimpse. They still caught a glimpse. And, and like when Moses caught a glimpse of, of God, their face shone. And they were able to share that with the community, and they still share it with the community today. So we've covered the first two of the four equippers thus far. We, we need to seek out being equipped by the prophets and the apostles and come under the words that they declared. Through the power of the Spirit. You know, right now we're in Ephesians. We're thinking of going at least to the first three chapters of Revelation. That means John's going to talk to us soon. We're thinking of possibly Ruth after that. That might mean Samuel's going to talk to us. Or we might go to the Torah. That's Moses. Who else is to teach this family? There are a group of another two. Evangelist and pastor teachers. It's not not three roles. Notice that in the ESV there's only two thes for those titles because the pastor teacher is actually linked with the same article in the Greek. The evangelist. Who's the evangelist? The evangelist is specifically someone equipped to share, and I would also say protect the gospel. In a technical sense, we're all called to do that. We're all called to share the gospel. We're also called to protect the gospel. There's a unique role that Paul is putting for these individuals and in equipping the family. That's why I would almost say there are really three roles here. Because Paul will write to Timothy in the last letter of his life in 2 Timothy chapter 4, and he will tell Timothy, who already is the shepherd teacher, he will tell him also to be an evangelist, to guard the gospel, to proclaim the gospel. There's a sense in which, you know, if Bruce or I fail to share the gospel here at this church, Pastor Pete Miller should stand up here and, and take over because you should find a new pastor. The gospel needs to come forth from here. That, remember, that's a starting place of our passage. Always the gospel. We need to be equipped with the gospel. We need people equipping us with the gospel. But also we have the shepherd teacher. The shepherd, of course, is someone who watches over the flock. But again, Paul writes this in a way where he doesn't want the watching to be separated from the teaching. The New Testament literally never calls a pastor in the New Testament church a shepherd without saying a teacher. You won't find it. The only way the New Testament actually describes being a shepherd as a pastor is also with a teacher right here. It's linked to this text. God's word declares to all of us, a pastor needs to be teaching you. It's inseparably linked to the care of your souls, to the equipping of you. I can't be called to be a pastor. Bruce can't be called to be a pastor in the eyes of God if we're not focused on teaching you. This is why, honestly, and I, and I say this delicately, there's one piece of feedback I don't care about when I get it as a pastor. Your sermons are too long. I got to go to stand before God on Judgment Day. And I got to go before Him and say, I tried to teach them, Lord. And I can't, I can't do that in five minutes. I'm sorry. If a television program in Hollywood takes 30 minutes to develop a plot, when I'm talking about the infallible God of the universe, if you think I can do it in five to ten minutes and really equip you for the extra 10,000 hours that you will ha- minutes that you will have outside a church in a week in a world that is hostile to Christianity, in a world where our North American neighbor, Canada, is openly arresting pastors on the streets right now, Do you think I can do that in five ten minutes? I can't, and I've never seen a pastor who can. And I've met some of the best. I've met some of the best: R.C. Sproul, Michael Horton. I've met some of the best, and they can't do it. You cannot acquit people in that amount of time. So I'll be honest: I love you. If you've ever given that feedback, I really do. But I can't do it. There's too many. There's too many things before you go outside the door. You need to know about this God of yours. I'm sorry, I just don't have the talent required to pull such a thing off. And so, those are the four roles of equippers. And the last two, that evangelist, pastor, teacher is really interchangeable. Now, what is all this equipping for? Well, look at God's words, not mine. God's words in verse 12. How does it begin? What is it all leading to? For the member of the family of God, does anybody have it open for me? This is why I needed the Bible. Here, I told Bruce to be equipped for the work of ministering. You know, I said something on the ministry page of Old Gosh, and wouldn't be surprised if it rubbed a few people the wrong way. But I said something like, there are only two types of Christians in the world. Those active in ministry and disobedient Christians. And verse 12 shows us that's true as a Christian. You are disobeying the rules of God's house. Sometimes people will come up to people like Pastor Miller, Bruce, myself, and they'll say, oh, things like, I don't know how you do it. I don't know how you do Christian ministry. And most of the time what they mean is the specific role of a quipper. But sometimes I wonder if they're actually uh, thinking to themselves, oh, they do ministry. I don't need to do ministry. Pastors are the ones being called to ministry. That we cook the meal of the sermon and you get to eat at the table and you leave on your merry way and the other 10,000 minutes, you're unchanged and you're weak as if churches is just some interlude in life. But that's not what the Apostle Paul says here in verse 12. He says, you're all in ministry right now. That's the more mature understanding that a believer will helpfully grow into. Yes, you come in here to be fed and be equipped through the teaching, through the preaching. But it's for you going out into ministry the other seven days of the week, the other days of the week. So let me ask you a question. If Pastor Bruce and I stopped you at the back of the church before we go out downstairs, and I promise you I will not do this to you today, but imagine if I did, and I said, how is your ministry going? What's your answer going to be? How is your ministry going? It's a question I get all the time. How is your ministry going? But it's, as you can see, it's not just a question for me. It's also a question for you. How is your ministry going? And if, it, if the ministry's not going well because Bruce and I are not equipping you well or teaching you, let us know. We, we will come beside you and help. But remember, you're in ministry. There is one sense that Bruce and I often talk about this. When the stained glass window, as you enter the church, I would like a small change on it. Well, maybe two, but it, it'll probably never happen, I know. But... First, a lot of people confuse us for a Lutheran church because the Lutherans are listed first. But, Bruce and I have seen churches that actually have on the exit door as you leave. Now entering the mission field. When you leave here, you're entering into ministry. Remember that. That's what the apostle is telling us this morning. That's the rules of the family. That's the rule of the house. So that when you leave here you are to see your life as a ministry to be a ministry to others this is the biblical idea of maturity of the apostle paul and he continues onward in verse 13 with it, as we begin to mature we begin to grasp this idea more and more this is the rules of the house when you allow yourself to be equipped directly by the word of god Through ministers of the gospel who teach from the Bible and watch over your souls and watch over the the gospel itself, you are being made ready to begin ministry. You will no longer have a faith life when you have this happen that gets rocked to and fro, that's shifted with every wind of doctrine. That's why often one of the most common things and pastoral suggestions happening around the country right now is stop watching the news or something like that because sometimes people will watch these things and they'll be shifted and they'll be moved and yet what they need to be grounded in is Jesus Christ, the grace of God, the teaching of God, the teaching of scriptures, the preached word, the ministry of Christ. We need to find our substance, our meaning in these things. And remember, regardless, maybe you're sitting there and you're going, I don't know, I don't know what quality I have for the kingdom. Remember, Christ at the beginning of this passage has given us all a measure of grace. So that we all can serve unique roles and be a blessing as a member of God's family. You have the grace of God that has been given to you through Christ Jesus. You have the word of God breathed out by the Holy Spirit, declared by the apostles and prophets, where our power is found and authority is found. And then you'll have pastors and teachers and evangelists equipping you like a good mother outside the house. You know, a few things to remind you of before you're out the door, all while you serve in ministry. That's the idea here. And then all of this is so that we are a family that remembers the love of the Father who would give up a son for our sake to adopt prodigals like us into his family. So, I know at times that was a tense one. But hopefully, we've all been equipped a little bit better to leave this church this morning in order to soon leave the sanctuary in love so that we might continue in our ministries to one another. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen? Amen. Let us pray. Father God, I confess before you the fact that... um, I would have written a different way. And I I wonder if some here also have the same feelings. What What can I offer you, Lord? What can I do to be connected to your grace and connected to sharing that with others in ministry? I know how prone I am to wander. I know how prone I am to leave the God I love. So I confess, Lord, all of us here... We all need your strength to, when we leave these doors of this church, to have courage out in the world. A courage in a world that, in many places, is set against Christ. So that we might continue in the ministry and the love and the service of Jesus Christ, our precious Lord, through the power of the Spirit, Lord. Please, give us this week all opportunities to minister in the most precious of all names in heaven. Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.